Thanks, Brandon, and, and uh, I'm going to start hiring Brandon to go around with me everywhere I go to give that introduction. That was pretty nice, but uh, I could turn it right back at him. Brandon is an amazing man, an amazing man of God, and I'm proud to call him my friend and uh, also my colleague in ministry, so thank you for that. And thanks for having me here today. What an honor it is for me to be here today. Uh, before I begin my message, I want to share two things, and the first is just thank you. Uh, several years ago, uh, you all made a decision to invest some time, to invest some people, to invest some resources, some money into a new work of God in the East Valley. It was not an easy decision, but you did it. And here, as I've spent time at Hope this morning, I see that God has given that back to you in people and resources and blessing. And the work that you have done continues to do his ministry year after year. I just had the opportunity to have breakfast with someone in our church on Tuesday morning. That person uh, came to know the Lord, uh, came to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior in our church, has grown in our church and sat down and talked to me how they feel they may be called into full-time ministry. That work is on you and the investment that you made. So I'm grateful for that, and I'm especially grateful because I get to do the dream of my life, which is be a full-time pastor. So thank you. And if you're new today, I want to tell you something. You're at a great church, so I'm glad you're here. Second thing I want to share is that I desire when I give a message for the message to be interactive with you. And there's three ways that that message can be interactive with you this morning. The first is I just want to invite you, and I'm going to pray over this in just a second, to ask God to be with you and bring to mind what he wants you to get out of this morning. You know, I learned that I can give a message to a hundred different people and it can impact them in a hundred different ways just depending on what God is doing in their life. What I want you to get out of this morning is exactly what God has for you. And so I'm going to pray that he just brings that to mind. It may be my main point. God is on the move. I'm going to have a message on God's local mission. I'm going to have an application. I want you to get that out of it. But God may pull something totally unrelated to that for you in your own life. And I just want you to be open to that. So we'll pray about that. Second is write things down. When you hear something from me that strikes you or maybe God brings something to mind that strikes you, write that down. You'll see inside your program, we've left a blank sheet. I do this a little differently than Dwayne. Dwayne gives you some fill in the blanks. I just give you blank lines to write on. I want you to write down what impacts you either because I said it or because God brings it to mind apart from what I said so that you can help retain it and remember it and later review it. Third thing is you'll notice on the top of this sheet is a phone number. It all should be on the screen right behind me. 480-294-7888. That is the Bridge Church line. I brought this here. Dwayne is preaching at the Bridge today. I did not have to be stuck doing this, but we take texts during the message. So during this message, if you have comments or questions, we want you to text them to 480-294-7888. And then at the end of the message, I will answer or respond to as many of those comments or questions as I can, given the time allotted. That might be out of the box for some of you to think about texting. You might think, Ken thinks I'm going to play words with friends. I won't be offended if I see you on your phone. Feel free to check in at Hope today and then text us. Our experience is that when people know that they will be listened to, that they can make a comment or a question about the message, they listen more attentively. And so that's what I want for you. So it's fun for me. Fun for you, so let's go ahead and do that. Let me open up in prayer. 
God, you are such a great God, and this is such a great church. Thank you for it. I pray now you would fill this place with your spirit as children's ministry happens, as all the small groups happen within the church, and as we worship here this morning, I just pray you would bless it and be with it. I pray for me that you would fill me with your spirit, help me to stay humble, help me to be faithful in teaching your word, and I just pray, God, that you would go forth and touch each one of these people. For the people here this morning that have been taking time out of their morning to be with you and connect with you, God, reward them by drawing them closer to you. Fill them with your spirit. I pray for each person that they would be touched in the exact way you want them to. Lord, let no one leave this morning without being closer to you than when they walked in the door because you worked in their life. To be the glory, God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. A week ago yesterday, we could go last Saturday, my grandmother died at the age of 93. It's sad for me because I loved her because we were especially close. You know, some people in your family are just like glue. They bring people together. That's what she did. We'd go visit her two weeks every summer, and uh, we would see our cousins and stuff. So she was a real kind of central point for our family. Um, but uh, she lived a full life at 93, and she knew the Lord. And so she is uh, in heaven with him, and I'm grateful for that. And so we went out to uh, North Carolina and Virginia. We had a memorial service for her in Galax, Virginia, where she grew up, a small town in Southwest Virginia, on Friday. And then yesterday morning, Saturday, I uh, did a memorial service for her in Charlotte at the place that she lived for the last 10 years, which was, uh, it was called Plantation Estates. It's one of those uh, large complexes that has kind of an independent living unit for older people and then uh, assisted living and then maybe more like a hospital unit. So through the stages of the last years of someone's life, they can go there. It's a great place. So I had a uh, memorial service there and I shared the story of the last time I had visited my grandma in person, which was two years ago. Uh, and uh, we, we went there with my family. I've got a wife and three kids, a 13-year-old, 11-year-old, and a five, almost six. So at the time, my youngest was three, almost four. And we walked my uh, grandmother around the grounds, and we took a long and leisurely walk, really to see it, but more importantly, just to kind of visit with her, right? And so we walked all the way around, and we got to the very end. Uh, we got back at her apartment. Uh, my youngest, who, again, is three, almost four, looked up at me and said, Dad, we did a lot of walking, but we didn't end up anywhere, right? And so that was certainly true for that. But for some people, that's how life feels, right? They do a lot of stuff. They get up, they go to work, they pay their bills, they have relationships, they, you know, do stuff. But there's no purpose or meaning to it. Last week, Brandon did a great job introducing the series, and he shared about that passage in Ecclesiastes where the writer Solomon in Ecclesiastes writes about how meaningless life is, and that word meaningless, what it means is it's like a puff of smoke, like it's here and gone. And that's what happens in life. It says if you're trying to get your meaning from the things in the world, you're going to find that they're very fleeting. Power, money, fame, success, education, whatever those things are, if those are the core of your meaning, you can do a lot of stuff. You could end up really empty. That message in the book of Ecclesiastes, but you don't have to look to the book of Ecclesiastes to see that meaning. You could find that meaning right here in the world. I'm going to show you this post. I know it's hard for you to read, so I'm going to explain it to you. It's from Reddit. Reddit is a very popular social media site. If you're a parent, you should know about Reddit. What happens on Reddit is they post topics. There's themes and topics, and someone posts something, and then people post under it. Uh, this post, I'm going to read it to you. 
just parts of it. Yeah, the top there, it says this. Uh, this is under a category called depression. This is uh, from earlier this year. It says, life is pointless. Why should I pursue any goal? What's the point of happiness? What's the point of any emotion at all? Why should I care? What's the point of any goal? Why don't I just cease my existence right now? And then the person writes this. They wrote, until last week, I wanted to have an indefinite lifespan. I wanted to live till the end of the universe. I wanted to change the world, travel to another planet, form a family, try new things. But then I asked, why? Why would I want to do these things? What's the point? Happiness? Why would I want happiness? Happiness is just an illusion. Free will is an illusion. Pleasure is an illusion. Love is an illusion. Nothing has intrinsic meaning or value. And now I have very little motivation to keep studying or doing anything. A very transparent post. Now here's what happens on Reddit if you haven't been on it before. People post responses to Reddit, and you may be familiar with some sites that post in the order, like, you know, one posted at 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock. What happens on Reddit is you vote on the posts, and depending on how many votes it gets, it moves up in the rank. So basically, under this, there are 96 posts that are listed down. The number one post, the post that got the most likes, the most votes, the most points is how they put it, says this. I know how you feel. You're not alone. I think exactly the same way. The only difference is this has been my mentality a lot longer than just a week like you. Everything seems pointless to me. We live a life trying to achieve happiness only to die. I just don't see the point. Two things about this post and the response to it. One, this is not an outlier. This is the way that many, many people feel about life. They do all kinds of activity but it has no meaning or purpose. Sometimes people are more honest on social media than they are in real life, but this is not uncommon. The second thing is that this is exactly the opposite of the heart of God. Look at John 10.10. 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. He's saying the thief is the one who wants to suck that sense of meaning away from you, but I came that have you full life, not full with stuff, but full with meaning, with significance, with purpose, in light of who you were created to be as a child of God in relationship with me. There is despair in the world, and we have a message to overcome that despair. And that is why whoever you are and whatever you are doing, God can use you right now to bring that message. God is on the move, and he wants to use you as part of the way he reaches people with his message of hope in the midst of despair. When I share, I love to share from a passage of Scripture, and so I'm going to share with you from a passage of Scripture this morning in Acts chapter 3 and 4 as we look at Peter and John just living their life, doing what they do day to day, and how God used them to bring this message of hope to those in despair, even when they faced opposition, God still brought their message of hope through them, and they were still faithful. I find that when I read long passages of Scripture, rather than just read them directly out of the Bible, I just like to tell the story. I like to sort of tell the narrative to you in my own words. So I'll have the verses, a few verses up there as we go along, just to remind you, I'm not making this up, this is in Scripture. If you brought your own Bible, you can look at it in Acts chapter 3 and 4, or you can follow along in the New Kent version. So we'll see how that goes. And don't remind you, Text 480-294-7888. We're looking at Acts chapter 3, beginning in verses 1 and 2. 
One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he's put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Okay, so here's where we are. So in Acts chapter 1, as he shared last week, God came to them for the last time. He said, hey, here's your mission. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the utmost parts of the earth. And then he goes up, and they're like, oh my goodness, he's gone. But he didn't leave them alone. He sends at the beginning of Acts chapter 2 the Holy Spirit, God himself, who comes to live inside us and indwell us and walk with us through life. And so through that, a community of faith is born and it grows. And at the end of chapter 2, they form community life together through serving and loving each other, through the apostles' teaching, and through prayer. And now it comes time to live out that life day to day inside the community of Jerusalem where they live. Two of the apostles, Peter and John, begin their day here in Acts chapter 3. They're going to the temple. Temple has two times a day where you just come for prayer. Early in the morning, about dawn, and at the ninth hour, which is about three in the afternoon. So faithful members of the community would just go, and the followers of Jesus would just go and pray there for people around them. So they go in, and they go into this gate called Beautiful. This gate was amazing. Josephus, who was a historian at the time, talks about this gate being 45 feet high and 22 and a half feet wide, full of gold and silver. So we're not sure if beautiful was the real name or the nickname, but the idea was this was a glamorous place to walk in. And right in the middle of there, a beggar sat. A beggar sat asking for money. Why did he do that? Well, in business and in begging, location, 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 right? This person knew they're coming through, they're seeing all this stuff, they're feeling generous. It was especially important because the rabbis at the time taught this. They thought there's three ways you should be faithful to God every day. In reading the Torah, which just means reading the Hebrew Bible, the first five books, especially the Old Testament, through prayer and through giving. Right? Well, we're busy, right? So I know where to go to pray and know to go to read the Torah. I go into the temple so I can give right there too. Get a three-peat, right? Get it all done, right? Be efficient spirituality. It's like, I know you're like, Ken, I'm glad to be here, but Harkins Community Church starts at 1130 with Pastor Liam Neeson, so I'll be sure to try to get you out in time for that. So, you know, I know, you get efficient, right? So, so you go in, and so they came by the gate, and here's this beggar, and and Peter makes eye contact with him, and he says, look at me. And he looks at him, and he's thinking, oh my goodness, he actually got my attention. He must have like a big wad of cash for me. And Peter says, no, 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 I don't have any gold or silver, but I got something better. Get up and walk. And at that moment, God moves in a supernatural way and does a miracle in that person's life. And he stands up, and he rejoices, and as a result, he's fully healed. And as soon as that happens... It buzzes like wildfire, right? Everybody knows this beggar. This is the beggar who got the prime real estate in front of the beautiful gate, and suddenly he heals. Right next to them is a place called Solomon's Colonnade, which is like a series of pillars where people meet. And it says in Acts chapter 3, verse 11, while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. So the idea that suddenly there's this whole crowd around them. Before I go on into the narrative, let me make a couple points. One is that God does heal. We believe in a good and loving God who cares and heals. And so we pray for healing. It says in 1 Corinthians 12 that some people have a gift of healing, sort of a gift for God to use them in that way. And uh, even if you don't have that gift, the way I don't have that gift, uh, God still is a good God who answers prayer. And sometimes he heals directly through answered prayer. 
Now, sometimes he also heals indirectly through doctors and nurses and medical staff. And that is just as beautiful and powerful as when God heals directly. Because both can be used by him. There's this great passage in Acts chapter 28, the last chapter in the book of Acts, where Peter and Luke, I'm sorry, Paul and Luke, pardon, Paul and Luke are together and in verse 8, Paul heals someone supernaturally. He prays for them and they're healed. And then it says in verse 9, and others came and they were healed. But it's a totally different word. word. It's a word that means medical healing. So the idea is Luke, who was a medical doctor, did his medical work right alongside Paul, who prayed supernaturally for people healing. And God is glorified, and God works in both ways. And as followers of Jesus, we want to take advantage of both resources, right? When we're sick, we want to pray for healing and go to the doctor. When you travel, you want to pray for safety and buckle your seatbelt, right? Faith and science work together. That's the way of a disciple of Jesus. And what you see is that in both ways, God can be glorified. God is glorified here because a miracle happens and buzzes like wildfire and people come to see it. But God is also glorified when people in the medical community donate their time to help people in need. God is glorified when we as a church, people who love God, care about compassion and mercy and justice and do good things. Brandon did a great job talking about that, the importance of that. There is no distinction between the words of Jesus and the works of Jesus. They are united for good. And so when we do good acts of social justice, we glorify God, just like here. So, Peter takes advantage of the golden opportunity to give one of his speeches. And Peter is definitely an extrovert. He likes to talk. Sometimes it gets him in trouble, but most of the time he's pretty good at it. So he shares and he says, look, You want to know how this happened? This happened because of Jesus. You know that Jesus that you killed recently? You know that Jesus that you turned your back on, that you said, we'll trade a criminal for you? That Jesus, this is the Jesus that he healed. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses, and this miracle happened because of that. He says in verse 16, through faith in Jesus, this was healed. And then in 17, he says, look. He goes, I get it that you didn't understand. I get it that you were ignorant. But now is the time to understand. And in verse 19, he gives kind of the pinnacle of what he's saying when he says, now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then in the rest of his speech, he kind of ties it back into their history with Moses and with Joshua and talks about how the prophets knew this would happen all along. But I want to share about that one verse in verse 19 because that's really the core of what he's sharing Repent, and repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. There's a couple of $6 words in there. I want to make sure you know those words. The first is sin. Sin is a word that literally means to miss the mark. The picture I want you to have is of an archery target and an archer going to shoot the target, but instead of hitting the target, the archer realizes they're going to miss the whole thing. They yell the word sin, and that tells people, get out of the way because the target's been missed. Much the same way that in golf, when you hit the ball, you yell four to tell people, get out of the way, you don't want to get hurt. The idea is that God has a standard for living, and we have missed that standard. And guess what? We have all missed that standard. No perfect people allowed is on your front door, and it's on our front door. Because from the pastor on down, we all fall short. Paul says, the very things I want to do, I don't do. So this is part of the human condition. That's why we need grace. 
That's why we need Jesus as our Savior. That's sin. The other word is repent. That's a $6 word that just means to be walking in one direction and then turn around and walk in the other direction. And the idea is I saw my life, I saw the things I did one way, now I see them in light of God. The sin that I've done, I might have seen it as fun, I might have seen it as good, but now I see it as separating me from the God who loves me and who made me for a purpose. And so I don't want that ruling my life anymore. What he's saying here is that when you come to Jesus, that is wiped away. And that unique word is a word that means like an eraser that's taken to it. So it's fully gone. It's as if I had a list of everything you did wrong and I just erased it. That's important for a couple of reasons. One, it's because you might be here and you might not even know what you think about God. Well, this isn't the church I go to regularly, but I know this church. So let me tell you something. This is a safe place to be if you're still exploring what you think about God. You are welcome here, you're welcome to question, you're welcome to wonder, and you're welcome to take your time to encounter the God we already know. He's amazing. But as you're here, you may think, hey, what about this? I did this in the past or that in the past. God certainly won't forgive me for that. Here's the good news. It's forgiven. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, it is finished. There's nothing more that needs to be done. You embrace that and you can be forgiven. And that's important to know because there's nothing that should keep you from the love and grace of God. Here's the second thing. As a pastor, sometimes I find followers of Jesus who intellectually know this but don't apply this to their own life because there's things in their own past or their own present, either before they followed Jesus or after they started following Jesus, that work to take their mind and their heart away from God and instead serve as like an anchor to keep them from moving forward. When I was a kid, I liked soccer. I had a soccer ball and it had one of those um, tethers attached to it and then a big stake you'd put in the ground. So I was like seven, you could kick the ball and then it would come back to you, right? So that you didn't have to play with friends. You could just kick all by yourself all day. So I, I kicked that ball and one day I said, I'm going to kick it past that tree. And I kick it and kick it. No matter how hard I tried, I couldn't get it past that tree. Finally, I picked it up and walked it. And guess what? I was seven. I hadn't learned physics yet. No matter how far I got it, I couldn't get it to that tree because the stake was keeping it from being able to go that far. For some of you, in your relationship with God and in moving forward to who God called you to be, something in your past and present is like that stake. You haven't fully given it over to God or experienced His love and forgiveness for it. And so as a result, it kind of continues to anchor you and hold you back from moving forward in peace. In practice, it looks like this. People say, yes, God has forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. If you can't forgive yourself for the wrong that you have done, then you do not fully grasp the love and grace of God. Because God has forgiven you. It's blotted out. And what he wants you to do is release that to him and move forward into fully who he wants you to be. The enemy wants you to keep focusing on that so that you can never get beyond it, so you can never be who you were created to be. Hebrews 12, 2 says this, throw off every sin that entangles you so that you can run the race. The trick to running the race is take your eyes off your failures and your sins and put them on Jesus and run in his direction. He'll take care of the rest. That's the message we need to hear and that's the message they need to hear because they realized some of them had just been involved in killing the Messiah. Oops! right? They did something really wrong. And the question is, will I be forgiven? And the answer is yes, because God's love and his power is greater. 
So then they're having this great opportunity to share the message. People get involved. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. I don't want to go into all these different groups because there are many different kind of groups of religious leaders at the time of Jesus. But when you see the Sadducees there, I want you to think of the schmoozers, right? These are the guys that know how to operate politically. And so they've connected with Rome, and Rome's connected with them, so they have this agreement. They're like, look, you just keep us supporting us while we put our thumb on Judea. And in return, we'll give you all the top spots. So they said, all right, so we'll do that. So they work, they work in that, and they gather together the temple guard. The captain was just another priest in charge of that. But they come and they arrest Peter and John. They think, we need to stop this. People are teaching, they're teaching this message, so they come and arrest him. And they hope when that happens, that we'll end this once and for all. But we see in the passage that it does not end. In fact, the next two verses tell us that more and more people come to know Jesus, even after they're arrested. And boy, do we find this true in the world. People think where it's easiest to share Jesus, that's where the growth will happen. But that's not what happens in the world. Where there is the most persecution and the most struggle in believers, that's where we see the kingdom of God explode in power. I don't fully know why that is, but here's my guess. My guess is that when things are going awesome, you just don't pray as much when things are going horrible. I know I don't, right? When I'm doing great, I don't pray the same way I pray when I'm desperate for God. And so I think in the midst of that prayer, in the persecution, the prayer that the believers have brings God in a powerful way. And I think that's the source of revival. I don't know, but I do know this. God works in amazing ways where Christians are persecuted. So we praise God for his continued growth there. But here, they saw that, and so they're brought then into with the leadership, into the kind of the high priests and the leaders, and they basically ask him, what are you doing, and by what name are you did this? And then it says, filled with the Holy Spirit, they say, we're being questioned because we've done a good deed. Let me clearly state to all of you, he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus the Nazarene. The idea is, look, no doubt about it, we're doing it in the name of Jesus. And then they say that stone, he quotes the Old Testament, saying the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. So the very thing you rejected, you allowed him to die on a cross, that is the cornerstone of our faith and the cornerstone of the true faith. Verse 12 then says there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. When you think about Jesus, you say, what's the difference between Jesus and every other philosophical view out there? It's simple. Every other view will tell you, do and do and do and do and do to be right with God. And Jesus says, it's done. It is finished on the cross. Everything that needs to be done is done. And now the grace of God and salvation for eternity is a free gift given to anybody Social class, education level, ethnicity, gender, doesn't matter. You come to Jesus, free gift of eternal life. So in that strength, they noticed two things. They noticed, one, they hadn't gone to their schools, right? They weren't educated the way. There was a very specific way to become a religious leader, but they hadn't done it, and yet they were bold, and they were confident in the faith that they had. And so they didn't know what to do. In fact, they said, boy, if we do something too strong, 
We're going to cause a riot. So it says in verse 18 of chapter 4, then they called him in again and commanded him not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So they go, all right, listen, we're going to let you go, but don't say anything ever again because next time you're in big trouble. And he says in verse 19, Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. See, it didn't matter to Peter and John that they had been arrested. It didn't matter that they were disliked, that they were persecuted, because they knew the message they had. They had a message about God's gift of grace for eternal life. They had a message about meaning and purpose in life. They had a message to overcome the despair, and they weren't going to stop sharing it. So they let him go, and they went back, and then they did a smart thing. They went to their fellow believers, and they prayed together. You know, sometimes when things get tough, there can be a tendency for people to spin away from God or spin away from the church. And I want to encourage you not to do that. I want to encourage you when things get tough to spin into God and spin into church the way they did. Come together for prayer because inside a healthy community, prayer can be a source of restoration and health in times of need. By the way, I'm here to tell you again, you are in a very healthy church. I know that not all churches are healthy. I know that not all Christians, followers of Jesus, are healthy. I know some of you have been deeply wounded by Christians or by the church. I want to just say, I'm very sorry. And all I can tell you is, that's not universal. You may be thinking in your head, I've met a lot of Christians, they've hurt me. We're not perfect. I'm broken. We're all broken here. But this is a good and healthy place at Hope Covenant Church. My encouragement is you take advantage of the blessing that you have in this community to come to them for prayer. And they came to them, Peter and John, godly men, knew they needed prayer. They ran to prayer. And they prayed for something very specific. They said, God, give us boldness to continue. Here's what they didn't pray. They didn't pray, God, remove all the problems. They didn't pray, God, make it easy. They said, God, give me boldness when it's tough. Because they knew how important their message was. By the way, it's okay to pray for things to get better. Okay, don't get me wrong. It's all right to pray, God, remove the obstacles. Sometimes he does. But sometimes he doesn't. And sometimes he does it intentionally because he wants to walk with you through the obstacles. Psalm 23, one of the best psalms in Scripture, says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. It's not that the valley of the shadow of death doesn't happen or that we don't have to walk through it. It's just that we don't walk through it alone. We have God and we have each other. In the midst of the storm we pray, and sometimes God removes the storm. But sometimes God makes us strong enough to weather the storm. And that's the character of a follower of Jesus that he wants to build. So, in those trials, there's opportunity to become more of who God wants to develop us to be. So as though through our prayer in Acts 4.31, the place they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Acts 4.31. As though they went out and God continued to use them, they clung to him and he used them in mighty ways to share this message, this message of eternal life, this message of healing both physically and emotionally, this message of power over despair, over persecution, over trouble. That is the message that they have, and that is the message that we have the honor of representing to our community. Let's take a look at this video.
God, have you forsaken me? Forsaken me? Forsaken me? Oh God, have you forsaken me? Forsaken me? The despair in this world is real, but we know a God greater than the despair, and He is on the move and wants to use you right where you are, in your school, in your place of work, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your community center, to share the message of hope that He has overcome the world is greater than our struggles, walks with us through our tribulations, and gives us eternal life with him, with meaning and destiny, just because he loves us. Here's my gentle challenge to you this morning. Step into the river as will and be part of that mission. Three ideas related to that I want to close with. The first is this. Love unconditionally. People are not projects. They are not means to an end. They're the end itself for which Jesus died. We love people and we care about people whether or not they know our God, whether or not they agree with us, just because God the Father created them and God the Son died for them. Love unconditionally. Here's the second thing. Pray diligently. Ultimately, whether someone embraces the gift of Jesus is between them and God. So what we want to do is be praying for people that they would be open to the message that God brings, knowing that He's the one that works in their heart. Pray for yourself that you might represent Him well, and pray for others that they might know Him. And here's the third thing. Share your story. You say, I don't know a lot about the Bible or, you know, any, I go, look, you are the expert 
on what Jesus has already done in your life. Tell people that and let God take care of the rest. He is a good God that wants to use you for his kingdom and his purpose. We got seven texts. I know you all want to have dinner, so I probably won't listen to all of them. They spoke of what they had seen and heard. Could it be that my timidity is because I have forgotten what I have seen and heard? I think that's a beautiful reflection. I will tell you that in my own life, I often take the grace and love of God for granted. In fact, I talk so often as a pastor about how it's a free gift, I just assume it must be free, right? Because I say it so much, I'm kind of used to it being free. But there's a big difference between cheap and prepaid, right? It's not that it's free because it's cheap. It's free because Jesus prepaid it and the price was heavy. So thank you for sharing that. Let's do another. I work in a science-based field. Sharing the world boldly can be difficult. What tips would you give to me to share the world word? This is a great question. It's a bigger question than I have time to fully deal with here. But let me give you one principle. Is that I have the principle of general revelation and special revelation, which means that I believe that God revealed himself fully in Scripture, but he also reveals himself in nature, in our conscience, and that includes in science. I look to do science if I do science as well and as objectively as possible because in there I will show God. So one thing is just to respect science for what it is and not try to predetermine any outcome, but say, let's learn just from observation how God has made the world and what he has done. So right, that's actually a topic huge on my heart, the relationship between faith and science, and I'd love to say a lot more, but uh, just because of time. Feel free to you know, text me, we can do it later. Let's look uh, one more. My six-year-old asked, if God made everything, then who made God? I didn't have an answer other than God always was. It didn't make sense to him, and I got to say I can understand his frustration. My wife then said she had the same question until our child was born. Can you answer? Well, so there are some things about God that are a mystery. So for some people, uh, this answer will not be satisfactory. But what I believe is God made the universe, and the universe is finite, but, but God himself is outside the universe, a different kind of being who is infinite. Something had to be first, right? Either the universe is eternal, or God is eternal who made the universe. Something had to be first. Given science, given the physical properties that I see, I see, believe that the universe cannot be eternal for a variety of scientific reasons. Therefore, it had a beginning, and what was there before the beginning, God was there before the beginning, and he was eternal. There is a mystery aspect to God, because God is infinite, and we are finite, so we can't always explain those things, but I think you have to ask, if God wasn't first, something else was, and nothing is quite as satisfying as the idea of God to answer that question. There are many more texts, and I, because of time, I want to honor that. But let me just say a prayer. God, how great it is to be with uh, the Hope Church family, how much I love them. What an honor it is to, um, 
just uh, worship with them this morning. Please bless them, God. These questions are so great and so important. I pray that either I would have time or other opportunities to share this with them. Just bless this place. I pray every person here would know you, would be drawn closer to you. For those who are here that don't know you, God, may they feel safe but compelled by your character and your love for them to come towards you and may they embrace you. For those that know you but are stuck in things they've done in the past or present, free them, God, to be what you've called them to be. And for all of us, God, may we be with you on the move, being used by you for your mission. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. What an honor it is to be here today. Thank you.